slightly different type, or a very different type now. Unhook everything. We just have a little tipsy little. Igor Stravinsky's Rite of Spring is arguably the most influential score composed for dance in the last century. Václav Nijinsky's groundbreaking choreography shocked audiences with its visceral embodiment of primeval spirituality, and the theme has subsequently been restaged by a wide variety of classical and contemporary choreographers across the globe. This paper focuses on a distinctly non-Western version of the Rite of Spring, Min Tanaka's Butoh choreography of 1987. Tanaka's work was premiered a year after the death of his mentor Tatsumi Hijikata, one of the founding fathers of the Butoh form. I will draw comparisons between Tanaka's stark movement vocabulary and aspects of Western modern dance in order to chart cross-cultural dialogue in avant-garde performance, one that had been set in motion by Nijinsky's fascination with the ritualistic elements of the primitive Orientalist other. It is often claimed that Nijinsky's collaboration with Nikolai Rorich and Stravinsky borrowed heavily from Russian folk tradition. Shelley Berg has observed that even the orchestral string section adopts a percussive quality, quote, achieving a deliberately primitive effect, end quote. Instead of working with the traditional features of ballet, such as high extensions, pointed feet, and creating an illusion of weightlessness, Nijinsky's choreography forced the dancers to invert the classical vocabulary. His new version of ballet consisted of stomping, juddering, awkward, and angular movements, instead of the flowing, otherworldly, intangible nature of classical dance. Indeed, the choreographer's sister described the dancers of the Rite of Spring as primitive. This primitivism allegedly derives from the Russian folk tradition. As Berg notes, folk dance forms the stylistic baseline. Nijinsky's dancers were costumed in brightly coloured patterned fabric, a heavy material that hung loosely over the body, quite distinct from traditional ballet dress. The women sported long, thick braids of hair, and all dancers wore tall hats. On closer inspection, though, I contend that this vision of an ancient Russian tribe bears striking resemblance to elements of folk dance and the traditional dress of Central Asia. The headwear was particularly reminiscent of the Kyrgyz kalpak, the fabric of the clothing similar in colour and pattern to Uzbek dress, and braided hair is also a prominent feature of classical Uzbek dance. Fergana dance in particular tends to feature a special cap or crown and long braids of hair. 
It's been documented that Rorich bought Uzbek fabric in St. Petersburg markets for the Belarus production of Prince Igor in 1909. Reflecting upon the stylistic elements of Rorich's set and costume then, it would seem that these so-called scenes of pagan Russia and fact stand for Central Asia and the Caucasus region. Concordantly, the Russian vision of the Orientalized other is epitomized by this same part of the world. It is Russia's Orient. With his Rite of Spring, Nijinsky took primitivism in dance performance to a new level by forcing a company of classically trained dancers to revert completely from ballet to a primordial form of movement. His dancers were enacting a ritual not through ballet mime, but using a new movement vocabulary based on ancient principles rather than academic Western dance forms. Similarly, by choosing ritual movement as his subject matter, Nijinsky was capable of exploring a new and other movement style that would not have been possible through the lens of narrative ballet. This work serves not only as a precursor to modernism on the ballet stage, but also as an ongoing source of inspiration for choreographers to explore non-Western ritualism. Following this example, I will now outline some of the major cross-cultural influences in the development of Bhutto, a Japanese modern dance movement that, as we shall see, owes a great deal to the legacy of Nijinsky's revolutionary example. In its earliest incarnation, beginning with the premiere of Forbidden Colours in 1959, Ankoku Buto, variously translated as the dance of absolute darkness or dark soul dance, was the term used to describe a deconstructive and often grotesque dance theatre hybrid. Buto was an art form that initially shocked Japanese audiences with its controversial subject matter. Today, however, Buto has exploded in popularity, garnering appreciative audiences and generating widespread imitation in the Western Hemisphere, particularly in Germany and the United States. Despite arguments that Bhutto is a uniquely Japanese art form, I contend that the practice emerged from exposure to European modern dance technique throughout the early 20th century. German Ausdruckstanz, or expressive dance, sometimes translated into Japanese as poison dance, was an unusual point of exchange with Japan, a cultural export passed on by such influential figures as Takaya Eguchi, Baku Ishii and Kosaku Yamada. Kazuo Ono, one of the founders of Bhutto, was taught by Eguchi, a pupil of Mary Wigman in Dresden before the outbreak of the Second World War, and Ono also observed performances by the expressive dancer Harab Kreuzberg during his 1934 tour of Japan. This international influence formed a reciprocal dialogue between East and West. As in the case of Nijinsky and Rorich's look eastward, Western dance took on many Asian-inspired characteristics in the modernist attempt to evolve a new and distinctly 20th century aesthetic. In her 1926 solo, Witch Dance, for instance, Wigman's No Theatre Mask, Chinese Brocade Costume, and soundtrack of gongs and percussion instruments represented a dramatic departure from traditional Western stage dance. Buto was often defined as a uniquely Japanese art form, even though the influence of German Ausdruckstanz in particular 
is clear to see in the aesthetics of Bhutto performance as well as in, its, in, as in the case of its historical roots. While some writers have argued that Bhutto was a form of artistic protest against the increasing westernization of Japan, Western influences on the creators of this art form were an essential component of its development. Ono attributed his own desire to dance to the influence of Antonia Merte or La Argentina, devoting one of his best-known works to the flamenco dancer. Tatsumi Hijikata, who along with Ono founded many of the principles of Bhutto performance, claimed to have become interested in German dance as a result of watching Hitler youth parades. The Fluxus artist Nam Jun Paik later drew comparisons between Hijikata and Josef Beuys, claiming, quote, both were unheimlich, inscrutable and scary, end quote. Hijikata was born in the rural agricultural region of Akita in 1928. The war had a profound effect on him and the dance format he was to develop exhibited an obsession with death and mining the graveyards of the recent past. A teacher of great renown, his movement vocabulary featured recurring use of a stooped back with the dancer in a hunched posture, knees swayed out sideways, creating a bow-legged appearance. This distinctive aesthetic has been variously attributed to Hijikata's fascination with the movements of polio victims, as well as the malnourished inhabitants of his home region, their legs deformed by attacks of rickets in this remote, poverty-stricken region of northern Japan. Perhaps one of Hijikata's most successful students, Min Tanaka turned to dance following a career as a professional basketball player. He studied modern dance techniques for eight years, stating, quote, To practice sport is to experience limitations. You cannot go beyond the body. It was to overcome such limitations that I became a dancer, end quote. Tanaka has worked with a broad range of sources, not limiting his field of interest to Japanese subject matter alone. The Poe Project was based on works by the American writer Edgar Allan Poe, alongside a libretto written by Susan Sontag, and performed by American dancers who came to live on the choreographer's remote collective farm while the work was in development. Sandra Fraley has indicated that aspects of his practice cross over into the realm of environmental art and has called his aesthetic both understated and nude and matter-of-fact. Improvisation is a key element, often taking precedence over established choreography, and Tanaka's movement quality appears involuntary, jerky, or occasionally spasmodic.
Perhaps unusually, Tanaka's Rite of Spring is not choreographed to the original score by Stravinsky, but to a spare minimalist soundtrack by the Japanese composer Minoru Noguchi. Devised at Tanaka's remote collective farm in Hakushu, known as the Body Weather Laboratory, this Rite of Spring is one of the most dramatic departures from the structure of Nijinsky's 1913, and there's that word again, original. The performance lasts around 70 minutes in duration, and typically of Bhutto choreography, the movements are slow and drawn out with occasional jarring actions. The 12 dancers move in an animalistic fashion, hands contorted to appear as claws, with their bodies hunched over, creating a grotesque, almost primeval aesthetic. They move around the stage space wearily, performing the same simplified movements over and over again, and treat their own bodies as if discovering them for the first time. The accompanying soundtrack is a key element in the narrative structure of this piece. As diegetic sounds, the performers respond to it, often gazing above the stage as if following orders. Stephanie Jordan has called the score an overt symbol of oppression, as it seems to drive the dancers to the brink of exhaustion and collapse. This is an extension of Stravinsky's sacrificial dance, the final six minutes of his score that traditionally see the chosen victim dance herself to death. Bhutto is an art form deeply concerned with loss, one that developed as an attempt to reinvigorate Japanese visual culture after the Second World War. Despite Japan's post-war economic successes, Japanese society remained haunted by memories of the war. Central to the post-war and post-atomic legacy in Bhutto is its emphasis on death. There is an evident parallel between Bhutto's near obsession with death and its place in time and space. The immediate aftermath of the Second World War in Japan brought with it the terrible fallout of the atomic bombings in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The 1960s marked another tumultuous period, beginning with the Mutual Security Treaty. 
Carol Martin has argued that the renewed treaty between the US and Japan, known as AMPO in 1960, played a major role in shaping, and I quote, the cultural climate of Japanese experimental theatre, end quote. Martin argues that the influence of Western, specifically European theatre, on Japanese performance caused a number of practitioners to turn their backs on Shingeki, or new theatre, embracing alternative formats such as Buto in the hope that they represented a uniquely Japanese perspective in art. Avant-garde theatre sought in its own way to heal some of the wounds of the recent past. For many fledgling theatre companies, there was a strong desire to break away from the increasing Western influence on Japanese society, yet this was countered by an equally vociferous resistance to continuing with Japanese cultural traditions, so loaded were they with political implication. There is an issue of dual identity in contemporary Japan, a significant proportion of modern Japanese cultural and academic society still adheres to the principle of Japanese uniqueness known as Nihon Jinron, yet at the same time seeks to mirror much of the commercialised Western world. The challenges of this dual identification are evident in the development of Buto in the late 1950s and throughout the 1960s. Accordingly, I contend that Buto has a split identification with both Western dance and post-war Japanese identity. Tanaka's is perhaps one of the most primitive imaginings of the Rite of Spring. It takes place in an unidentified wasteland peopled by fearful, ragged figures whose primal anxieties add an uncomfortable edge to the performance. In this respect, the parallels with German choreographer Pina Bausch's renowned version of Stravinsky's score are strong. Bausch's Rite of Spring is most readily noted for its dramatic stage setting, in which the choreographer covered the sprung dance floor with soil, soon turned into mud by the perspiration of her exhausted dancers. The programme notes to the premiere of Bausch's work reflected a desire on the part of the choreographer to, quote, return to the motifs of the original libretto, end quote. Bausch's Rite of Spring was characterised by compulsive movement, almost akin to mass possession. In this work, Bausch pushed the limits of physical performance to a new level. The heavy soil worked against the dancers, making their movements increasingly laboured. This was not an impression of physical tiredness, it was a very real, visceral exhaustion. While the dancers' bodies were clearly on display, particularly the women in these flimsy slips, the effect was not one of sexual titillation, quite the opposite. The proximity to their raw flesh added to an overall sense of overexposure and enervation. Like Tanaka's semi-nude performers, the human body is desexualized and haphazardly painted in Bausch's work with mud in Tanaka's piece, White Body Paint. There's a clear line of influence that connects European and Japanese modern dance throughout the 20th century. Yet, despite strong historical links between Buto and Ausdruckstanz in particular, there's a tendency in critical writing to argue that Buto was representative of a uniquely Japanese aesthetic. 
It is not sufficient to argue that the vein of aesthetic and cultural influence runs only in parallel directions. Rather, this connection between Western and non-Western culture is an ongoing back and forward interchange of ideas present in art and performance throughout the 20th century. With his Rite of Spring, Nijinsky explored new levels of primitive ritualism and performance. He induced a company of classically trained dancers to revert to a primordial form of movement, enacting their ritual through a new choreographic vocabulary derived from elements of Central Asian folk dance. Stravinsky's score has come to be an ongoing source of inspiration for choreographers exploring non-Western ritual from 1913 to the present day, and I posit that Tanaka's Rite of Spring symbolises in some way the logical conclusion of this dialogue between Eastern and Western performance. Avant-garde dance throughout the 20th century has been shaped by an amalgamation of cultural elements. Ultimately, it is this intercultural dialogue that perhaps best represents Nijinsky's enduring modernist legacy. Thank you. Take the clothes off outdoors and then you come up with the movement. But it's 
again, it's entirely dependent on who the, the leaders are and the I was really interested, thank you, in, in the fact that you introduced the right of spring that does not use Stravinsky's score, because it suggests that the burden of a tradition, a memory, is strong enough mm. um, for us to receive it as a right. But I think, um, and I, I found this quite hard in my own research because I was tracking this particular right, there were some examples where you heard the voice of the tune mm. changed by the composer mediated, altered, just tiny fragments here and there, suggesting that he wanted something of, of the score to work. Mm -hmm. um, and the whiff of the tune is quite enough to, <laughs> to raise all kinds of visions of um, previous rites of spring, the bird of the legacy, if you like. Coming through, the the is that something that you? Oh, I'm, I'm not putting this at all. Up. I'm just sort of thinking about the legacy living on. Is there is that a kind of burden for you as a as a teacher of dance, teacher of dance? Um, no, not at all, not at all. It's, but <laughs> I I really I only worked on the later ballets. So right. That's what I, that's what my experience was. So going back to the early ballets, pre Sapa. Um, is a little bit more difficult for me. And um, the conversations that we had, and now, you know, I've just begun this journey and this, this investigation, and um, it's, as I said, when I put up the slide about things that I learned, mm -hmm. and, you know, it, it just every time I read something, and it just it falls right in line with things that I actually learned, so it's going beyond that now to try to, to find something um, really that I didn't know um, in the early work, which is wonderful. It's really yeah. fascinating, but I don't find it a burden at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a weight of history on the shoulders. <laughs> Although I will tell you, this is the first time I've spoken in public about being um, his assistant and working with him. Yeah. And it just, and has somebody recorded you? I wonder if you've been, have you been part of a, an interview process at all? No. Maybe something to mind. Yeah. Can I ask you, sir, uh, they showed uh, some pictures of his uh, notation, which is a sort of elaborate stepper. Mm -hmm. Were any of his ballets uh, notated in stepper? No, not in the stepper, but some of them were not notated. There are, there are some that were done in lab notation, and he was very interested in lab notation, actually. Um, and uh, the Stepanov was his vehicle to explore what he called his theories of choreography. He really, really wanted to define and leave as a legacy his theory of choreography. Um, he thought that the ballets probably wouldn't last. And he wanted to leave this legacy of um, rules and, and points of departure. Um, so, that's a good question. Well, I have uh, seen his, his book, which is very extensive and mm -hmm. beautifully written. I just 
But that was a very long time ago. I can't remember whether his theory was in that book or it's in a separate book. No, that's it. That's it. The theory is, um, it's very, very complicated. I just had a wonderful conversation with a colleague of mine who was trying to give a lecture on it. She said, you know, I read the book, I don't understand it. And I said, it's okay, I took the course, and it, you know, it, it's difficult. The, the notations are exercises to exemplify theories of harmonic progression, dynamic evolution, and, and different um, um, qualities of music that he wants to make analogous with movement, and he sort of redefines them. And so the, the pages and pages of notation are simply exercises to exemplify these theories that he's putting forward. Thank you. Steve, um, are those uh, notebooks of his uh, transcriptions of uh, Piketty exercises from fascinating, mm -hmm. 1950? I wonder if you could tell us something about your experience of, uh, of working with Marcin, and did he, did he ever actually talk about Piketty and about the use of, uh, I, don't, I don't know, does he, what does he get from Piketty? Absolutely, Portoferrala and Ephraim. Absolutely, yeah. and um, and, and you see yeah, yeah. but you see it more in the later ballets. Mm. Um, you know what I call the over and under Portoferrala. Yeah. That was a very rounded, almost Chiquetti's Portoferrala. The the curves, the very curved. It was a style of the time, but it was also from his background in Chiquetti. He wasn't as precise, and and you see that it's a different generation. But you see that he's not as precise about the accuracy of the turnout, of the accuracy of the extension of the leg. It is the quality of the movement, and he got that from Cicchetti. It is about the quality of the movement. And of course, Cicchetti was precise. I'm not saying he wasn't. But the essence of the movement is the quality, and, and Messing always felt that the basics were essential. He did the bar. He was 80 years old, and he would not come to rehearsal until he did his bar. Quietly, privately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Um, um, you had um, in uh, 1918-1919, you had some very interesting interviews where you talked about the body as kind of an orchestra of, made up of different instruments. Mm -hmm. and where they and began to speculate on all the movement possibilities that existed that went far beyond anything that was within the danse d'école, and that the danse d'école had to the academic dance had to be extended <coughs> to encompass what one could not even begin to um, visualize. I mean, you might find some of those interesting you know, to, if you don't know them to look at. Um, the other thing I'm, I, I'm very curious about, what did he say about liturgy? What kinds of things oh. did he say about that? Um, he was, he deeply, deeply regretted. He never got over that it was not produced. Mm -hmm. Now, this is an 80-year-old man, mm -hmm. looking back. Mm -hmm. But um, he felt that it was, um, his, the true essence of everything he did came from liturgy. He felt that, um, you know, I, I look at this, and of course, as a dancer, I see Nijinsky. 
I see that that high demi point. I see the arms lifted, although he takes them higher. Yeah. Um, and and there must have been inspiration there. But he felt it was new. Mm -hmm. That it was from these mosaics, this flat two-dimensional thing that he was taking from the mosaics, and he felt that everything he did came from liturgy. Mm -hmm. um, but it was it it was a, an extraordinary thing to be in the middle of a Bodin view rehearsal, get through the rehearsal, and that's, that's the wonderful thing about the rhythm that I was going to tell you, the speed of movement, um, and to go back and have him say something about liturgy. Just out of the blue, it's, you know, I could have done that. Or, uh, you know, it, it's um, just this deep sense. And, you know, he did several, or, you know, because it's in your book, um, but he did um, several ballets after, after that, um, I think, was going back to try to make something. You know, Bellissima Vision, I think, even more than Laos Evangeli, you know, Bellissima Vision was his recreation of um, literature. Thank you. Alexandra, did you want to talk? Um, yes, it's written for Lucy. Um, it's quite difficult how to put it. Um, I will start the, with a quotation on, on the PowerPoint. Graveyard and Ruins of World War II from the um, German perspective. Um, if I would just put these, these few words, it, will be, it would be a completely right-wing uh, position. Because um, I mean, of course, ruins which ruins do, and, and uh, there's the, um, the lack of, of, of the Holocaust, where there are no graves for for, for the Kell Jews. Um, so this is my starting point, and um, I have a question concerning the relationship between Pina Bausch and um, Buto in terms of the use of soil in Pina Bausch's version. Um, yeah, I think it's quite for me. It's, it seems to be quite problematic to to, uh, to have this. Um, this, um, this parallel between Buto and Bausch. Although I know that Bausch is very famous in, in, in Japan, and she has a lot of a strong connection to Japan. And um, I wonder whether you could elaborate a little bit more about perhaps the use of soil or the, 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 the being touched to the earth, going back to nature in the Buto, um, Buto version mm -hmm. of, of uh, Rite of Spring. Um, because um, yeah, maybe there's a kind of there's a different um, attitude to to the soil, to the, to the to the nature that does not necessarily lead to this kind of um, neoconservative um, mm -hmm. or even um, yeah I approach that I started with. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think well, it's one of the one of the things I find quite problematic about a lot of the writing on Bausch's right spring is that it doesn't touch on the World War Two legacy at all. Mm -hmm which I feel is missing the point almost entirely. And um, I think her use of soil, and, and in particular the kind of ragged and pathetic figures, it seems a very, very strong link to imagery of the Holocaust. And it's something that's been cited back to me anecdotally by a number of dancers and by a number of people who, who saw early performances. And I think with what Tanaka is trying to do with this collective farm and this um, almost communal living ideology that, that has to go before taking part in any of his work is, is something quite different. There's a, there's a similarity, but the intention is quite different. And I think with Tanaka, it's about trying to reconnect with a very kind of basic, primal return to the wilderness, return to, to 
almost prehistory in a way. And again, it's it's difficult to talk about Rousseau in, a, in one homogenous way because each major figure is associated with a very different ideology. And someone like uh, Hijikata is really problematic in that respect because he knew what he was saying when he announced in an interview, I decided to become a dancer watching Hitler youth parades. He knows exactly what he's doing by using that kind of loaded language. And a lot of his um, writing and his the interviews that he gave on dance give off a really right-wing, disturbingly right-wing edge and a very anti-Western edge. Yet at the same time, he's constantly mining Western source material, is immersed in French literature and bases a huge number of his pieces on Arto and Genet. And you have the same thing with Kazuo Ono, who will never explicitly say whether his work is inherently Japanese or not. And, and so I think, in a way, it's unhelpful and this, I suppose, is the central premise of what I'm trying to get at. It's unhelpful to look at these things in terms of they're Western or they're specifically Japanese or specifically German because they, they kind of feed into a much wider dialogue. And that by the time you get to this period in the 20th century, it's such a back and forwards mishmash that nothing is uniquely German or, you know, even Ausdruckstadt, which is supposed to be this very particular German influenced by Nachtkultur and and that particular period of the 20th century, it's still taking on so many characteristics of non-Western dance. And then in Japan, you have people who are desperate for Western dance and bringing over German teachers. So that the time, by the time you get to the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, the dialogue has become so back and forward and so confused in a way that there's no such thing as these parallel lines. You have a, an interweaving thread and there is a, it's a much wider conversation, but something I've written quite a bit about is this idea of the commonality of the defeated nations of World War II and looking at post-war performance culture in Japan and in Germany, and that there are very, very striking links in terms of the imagery of violence, the return to primitive themes, and this is something that, in a way, connects Bausch's dance theatre with Rousseau as well. It's a bit of a confused answer, but it's a difficult question. I mean, she's about, I mean, she's, it's the, the breaking point in her, yeah. in her career. Yeah. And she's really influenced by, by, um, by her um, education in New York. And, yeah. and it's not only um, dance theatre, yeah. dance theatre. It's, it's also there's this mishmash. I, I like the word mishmash. <laughs> 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 okay, thank you. I think we've got time for one more question. Yeah. Thank you.